have to say I've really enjoyed the Q&R uh, portion of the service. Uh, the questions are always excellent. We're changing a little bit about the way we do it. Uh, the way to access that, I think there'll be a slide up there, is uh, gfcdonmills.live. You can go to there, and if you have a question uh, that will help you understand or apply the text that we're looking at, then uh, that's the, the website to go to as we uh, look at God's Word. Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help as we uh, look at this Word. Father, there's a lot at stake in the passage that we're looking at today. There's a lot at stake in hearing your Word. So right now we ask for your Spirit's help. Uh, would he give us hearts that are not sluggish to respond to your word? I pray that we would receive the word joyfully, that we would respond, and that we would continue to grow into maturity. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You know, it's not very hard to come up with examples of people who are deconstructing. If you, People who are falling away from their walk with Jesus. It seems like every time I go online, I discover somebody who used to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you go hashtag deconstructing, you'll find hundreds of posts, but I don't have to go looking. Sadly, I can find people that I followed and uh, I've got books on my shelves of people who once clung to Jesus and who now have begun to draw back from following him. One of my Facebook friends I've got tons of examples, sadly, of friends and even pastors who have done this. But one of my Facebook friends is actually coming out with a book right now on deconstructing, how to deconstruct. And it's been interesting because uh, she just reviewed a book about uh, how to not deconstruct, and she said it's full of garbage and guilt and, and just, uh, you know, these days you can just say, I'm feeling uh, oppressed, I'm feeling like, uh, how dare you question my journey of walking away from Jesus and so she's got this book coming out very soon about how to walk away from your faith, how to walk away from Jesus. There's courses. There was a course that one prominent evangelical that I really respected, who himself deconstructed from the faith, he offered a course on how to deconstruct, and he got a bit of blowback and how to take it down. But it is a very personal issue. It's a very common and widespread issue. And sadly, it's not just a matter of uh, social media posts, but actually people who were once walking with Jesus and who have just said, I've walked away, I chuck it all, I leave it, I leave it all behind. Uh, you might know friends or family who have done that. You might know some people within this church who have done that. One of the saddest examples in Toronto actually was a, name, a man named Charles Templeton. If you know a little bit about Toronto history, uh, you would have heard of his name within the evangelical church. I've actually met people who've been, who were pastored by him. He was a prominent and very effective preacher. And he built up uh, Avenue Road Church. Uh, if you still go there, it's now a Hare Krishna Temple on Avenue Road. But at the time, it was a bastion of gospel preaching. And he was so effective that he was close friends with Billy Graham, who's uh, one of the leading evangelists of the last century and toured with Billy Graham and was known as worldwide as being an effective evangelist. And he effectively preached the gospel. Many people came to faith in Christ through his preaching. But he began to suffer intellectual doubts. And he began to question the truth of scripture. Before long, he actually abandoned his faith and he tried to persuade Billy Graham to do, do so as well. Eventually, Templeton resigned the ministry and became a novelist and a news commentator and wrote books against the Christian faith, at least one book. 
And near the end of his life, Lee Strobel met with him. He was suffering with Alzheimer's, but he still had some uh, memory. He was still sharp at times. And Lee Strobel was asking about his former faith. And here's what Charles Templeton said near the end of his life. He was the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was intrinsically the wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life. I know it might sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. He is the most important human being who ever existed. And if I may put it this way, I miss him. What a tragedy. At the end of his life, he could say, Jesus is everything, and yet I chucked him. Uh, he's still the best person I ever discovered, and yet I walked, I abandoned my faith in him. I miss him. And his eyes filled with tears, and he wept freely and refused to say more. The question I want to ask today is, how do you get there? How do you get from preaching the word and giving your life, devoting your life to you know, I want as many people to know about Jesus as possible. How do you get from there to chucking your faith and getting to the end of the life, your life and saying, I miss him. I made a horrible, I don't know if he would ever say he made a horrible mistake, but you certainly get the, the impression that he looked back with wistfulness at what he once had spiritually. How do you get from faith in Jesus to deconstructing, to walking away from your faith? Well, that's not a new problem. Uh, we're picking up the book of Hebrews again today, and it was really written to a group of uh, early uh, believers in Jesus Christ who were beginning what you could call a process of deconstruction. And they were drifting gradually from a solid faith in Jesus to Judaism, to their old religion, to, you know, I know today there aren't, I mean, I'm sure there's some, I know there's some who might be drifting from Christianity to Judaism, but I know there's many more who are drifting from Christ to, uh, it might be another religious movement, it might be agnosticism, it might be, uh, I don't know what it is, there's this, this ongoing danger that the author is addressing. In today's passage, I want to look at uh, three things. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to look along with me. If you have the Bible uh, that was given out by the church here, it's page 582, I want to look today at uh, three things here. The problem that leads to deconstruction. This is the underlying issue that would cause us to deconstruct. And then I want to look at what the author says is the solution. And then I want to look at what's at stake in this. So the author is going to help us identify what is it that leads to deconstruction. What is the solution? And then what's at stake and so verses 11 to 14, uh, look at me with, at the, the problem here. So here is the problem. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, he says, since you have become, and here's, I think, the key phrase here that we need to hear, and I'll explain why I think it's a key phrase. Since you have become dull of hearing. Well, how do we know this is a key phrase? And he goes on to say, but this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone again to teach you basic principles of the word of God. You're still on baby food, essentially. You're drinking milk, not solid food. And he goes on to say, you know, we need to progress to mature food. But that word dull of hearing in verse 11, the reason we know it's important is because uh, there's a bit of a sandwich going on in this passage. And if you turn to chapter 6, the, end, the last verse 
uh, verses here, verses 11 and 12 of this passage. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you might not be sluggish. The same word as dull of hearing. That you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the problems. At the beginning and end of this passage, the writer says, here's the problem in a nutshell. The same word in the original, sluggishness, dullness, uh, spiritual laziness. When applied to athletics, uh, I can't wait for baseball to start again. Uh, Spring training, right? And uh, the first day, the players show up and uh, some of the players show up and their first day of training camp. And here's how the conversation goes. What have you been doing all winter? (laughs) You've been, Christmas was good to you, wasn't it? You're sluggish. You're not game ready. You're, you're out of shape. You've become flabby. You, we need to get you back into shape. And hear what the author is saying. The greatest danger spiritually that he's identifying here that can lead to deconstruction is a spiritual sluggishness, a slowness in our apprehension to hear the teaching of God's word. And it cause, causes serious problems. How do we actually know that we're suffering from spiritual sluggishness? I don't know about you, this time of year, does anybody ever feel sluggish this time of year? Especially coming after Christmas, we're going back to work, and uh, the first, the alarm goes off the first day that you have to go to work, and you're like, oh, do you ever feel like that spiritually? I do too, sometimes. It just feels like sometimes, spiritually speaking, we're, we're slow, that we're just not there. And that's the issue. Here's how we actually know. This is how it shows up in our lives. In verses 12 to 13, we've already looked at this. A lot of us should be beyond where we are now spiritually. And he says, some of you ought to be teachers, but you're still at the stage, he says, where you need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You are still you, you still need milk. You should be ready for the... Have you ever met an adult who's like, what's your favorite food? And they're like, hot dogs. And you're like, no, I said, what's your favorite food? And they're like, well, I like potato chips. And I've met people like this. It's like, do you ever eat... Ve- no, hot dog. I, know I don't eat vegetables. I don't like them. Hot dogs, potato chips, my diet. And you're like, are you 12? Like, come on. He's saying here, guys, you ought to move beyond that elementary, uh, babyish appetite. You ought to be beyond that. You've got to actually, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. You're still spiritual children. And what he's identifying there is there's a type of Christian who uh, comes to faith evidently in Jesus Christ and understands the basic, I'm a sinner, I need salvation, Jesus is my hope, he's everything, he saved me. All these are wonderful truths. We should never get beyond them. But they stop there. You begin to say to them, have you learned anything? Have you moved beyond? That was great. We need to continue to circle around that. That is the basis of everything. But have have you learned anything else about Jesus? Have you grown in your understanding of the complexity? The complexity is the wrong word. The glories of Jesus, the infinite worth of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. Have you actually struck, have you learned what scripture says? It's a big book. Have you read it? Have you begun to grasp 
I mean, we're going to spend eternity coming to understand God 10 million years from now. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ will still be gazing at God saying, I have so much to learn. I cannot begin to comprehend everything about him. He's so far beyond our understanding. And the author of the Hebrew says, are you stuck at grade one spiritually? You know, uh, I love children. All, all of you who have children know how adorable it is to have young children. And, uh, but you also understand that, you know, th- behaviors that are appropriate when they're two, you actually want them to become three and then four and then five. And some of us know the heartbreak of uh, developmental delays and all of that, and we work through that, and we learn how to... Of course, you want... But what, here's what you don't want. you want. You don't want a child who's able to progress to be stuck at an elementary level. Behavior that's cute of a two-year-old is not so cute in a 14-year-old. And behavior that's cute in a 14-year-old is not so cute when they're 30. And here's what the author is saying. The same thing applies spiritually. And it's a serious matter when someone follows Jesus for a long time but never moves on and grows. Sluggishness sets in and this leads to a very serious problem, he says. So far in Hebrews, uh, John Piper summarized, you know, here's some of the ways this is playing out. They're drifting. Instead of rowing against the current of sin, they're just drifting backwards. They're neglecting the great salvation that they claim to have. Their grip on joyful, zealous hope is slipping. Their hearts are hardening to the truth of God's word. Their conversation is losing its spiritual urgency. Their ears are getting dull. They're losing their desire to press on to maturity. They're becoming weak and sluggish. And as a result, as we're going to see, they're in danger of shrinking back from the good beginning they made. And they're in danger of falling away from the living God. And it's catastrophic for their souls. And how does this happen, friends? This does not happen through... It can't happen this way, but what he's identifying here is it's not happening through a conscious decision to abandon the faith. It's not uh, waking up one day and saying, I'm going to completely change my worldview. I'm going to turn my back on Jesus. That can happen, but that's not what's happening here. How does it happen? Laziness, sluggishness. It's what happens on default mode as we drift. We don't drift in a spiritually positive direction. We drift away from Jesus, not towards him. And it can happen to any of us. As Tom Schreiner observes, the author doesn't believe actually that it's possible to stay at a permanent state of spiritual infancy. Actually, what he's saying here is that's a concern when we say it's spiritual urgency. Because here's what happens when you're in spiritual urgency. You're in danger of slipping into apostasy. It is not that hard to slip from spiritual infancy to apostasy. And so as Tom Schreiner says, he doesn't contemplate that it's possible to drink spiritual milk for years and still obtain eternal life. It's actually urgent to leave spiritual infancy behind because you're either drawing nearer to God or falling away from him. Only two choices. You're actually either progressing in your maturity or you're slipping towards apostasy. That's the stark choice before all of us. To put it even more starkly, Mark Dever says, the idea that something can be alive even though it stopped growing, is a curious idea. And I'm not sure the New Testament is familiar with it. To say that I made a commitment to Christ, but I'm not moving forward, 
The New Testament does not recognize that as a Christian life. That is not a category of following Jesus. If you're stuck in spiritual infancy, if I'm stuck in spiritual infancy, it's a grave danger. If you're not growing, friend, your soul is at risk. Unless you take action, you're on the way to falling away from the faith altogether. And it's a serious problem that we must correct because it is essential for our spiritual survival. So that's the problem, spiritual sluggishness. What's the solution? Chapter 6, he says, here's the solution. Or actually, he begins in verse 14. We've already looked at it. Here's what he says. Here's the alternative to staying stuck spiritually. Verse 14, solid food for the mature. For those who have, uh, have their powers of discernment trained by, and I love this word, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. But here's what it takes. Constant practice. How do you move from baby food to, uh, to more mature food? Constant practice. Now, I mean, this is easy when it comes to food. Has anybody had constant practice at eating food? Like, we're all really good at that right now, right? Three times a day, like three squares. And what he's saying here spiritually, you've got to mature. Like, you've got to develop the spiritual uh, ability to process healthier food. You've got to learn to love this. And he says in, in the beginning in, in chapter one, he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to, to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. And, and he lists these things actually in uh, the next few verses that he says, and this is gonna blow your mind in a way because what he lists here, one of my friends came to me one day and he said, what he identifies as being elementary? A lot of us are saying, wow, these are deep waters. And actually, they're, uh, to be fair, a lot of them are hard to understand what he's going to talk about in these verses. But his point is clear. He mentions repentance and faith. He says, uh, not laying a, a foundation of repentance in, from dead works and faith toward God. What he's saying is, look, have you ever been in a church where the message every week is uh, only you need to turn to God, you're sinners, you need to turn to God, you, you need to repent of your sins and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to, if you're here today, if you're not a believer, you need to give your, your life to God. You need to follow him. He's everything to you. I believe every church should say that every week, but I also believe every church ought to teach that and help believers mature in their faith at the same time. We never outgrow that message, but we simply can't just stop there. And he says, look, I'm not gonna lay that foundation every, we need to, hold to that, cling to that, preach that, but we're just not going to stop there. We're just not going to say that's the end of the Christian life. That's essential. But he says, we need that and then to mature. And he goes on and he says, you know, let me give you another couple of examples. Here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Instructions about washings and laying on of hands. Everything he mentions here is uh, got some root in Jewishness, the Judaism of the day, which is why it's a little bit strange to us. In the Old Testament, they did ritual cleansings by water. And here, I think what he's referring to is saying, you know, in the new, now after Christ, we do this thing called baptism. That if you've begun to follow Christ, what you do, the, the first step that you do is, this is a step for baby Christians, not mature Christians, is you're baptized in water. That you're, uh, this is essential. Uh, and he says, you know, the laying on of hands this was practiced in the Old Testament in a number of different cases. 
In the New Testament, it seems to be practiced for a couple of things, including commissioning to ministry. And he says, look, these are essential. These are, but you need to understand, we need to move beyond these things. These things are important, but they're not everything. If your faith is stuck at understanding that you need to be baptized, you need to move on. You need to do that. And then we need to move on to other topics too. Can I just pause here and say, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ, I urge you, come talk to one of us. Uh, I think I would love James' email to blow up this week with requests to be baptized. These are essential, like the, but let's move on. Let's do it and keep progressing. Don't get stuck there. Do it if you have it. And then he says, let's move on. And then the final example, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He says, we need to understand. We need to understand, all of us, death is not the end. Your bodies will be raised incorruptible, that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's essential. But friends, if your whole Christian faith is, I'm a sinner, uh, I baptized, one day I'll stand before Jesus, I'll give an account for my life, and I'll live forever because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that is the essence of Christianity. But if that's all you've got, and you've been a Christian for 10 years, you need to develop in your faith, he's saying. We're just not going to stay stuck there. Those things are essential, but you've got to keep going. You're meant to get to know God and his word. You're not meant to just stay at the beginning. We should have a hunger for the rich truths and the complexity of the word of God. You know, what does this mean for us? It means don't settle for an elementary understanding of the faith. Don't settle for just the beginning. Don't settle for what you knew about God last year. In 2024, God help us. Let us all commit to learning more about God. Let us commit to understanding more of Holy Scripture. As Augustine said, the Bible's shallow enough for a child to swim in it and not to drown, and yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. Remember Tim Mackey saying that the Bible's like a cave and you go into the cave and you explore it and you, you think you've discovered everything and right at the end of exploring it, you discover a hole and you discover that actually the cave is just a, um, it, it's got a portal into an even deeper cave and you go in there and you begin to explore it. You think you've mastered it and you realize there's more. Well, scripture is like that. You can read a passage, you can understand it, but the more you read, the more you realize, man, I've been reading the scripture I'd realized this week for 50 years. I feel like I'm just, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface still. There's so much. Don't settle, friends. Don't let me settle for an elementary understanding of the faith. We could spend the rest of our lives, in fact, we'll spend the rest of eternity understanding some of the truths that God has revealed to us in his scripture. And so here's the problem. Spiritual sluggishness. Here's the solution. Actually mature. Get to know God's word better. Get, develop a hunger. Don't settle for the elementary uh, beginnings of the faith. But here's what's at stake, he says. And this is sobering. This is, uh, in Hebrews, contains a number of warnings. And here's the most severe one in the book, I believe. Verse 4 says this. Here's what's at stake in this issue. It is impossible, he says, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, 
who have tasted the heavenly gift and you have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up for contempt. Or for contempt. Then he gives the example of land um, that you know, you're cultivating land and if the land repeatedly fails, you're just like, I'm not gonna, this, this land's a write-off. You know, here's what he's saying. This is sobering. He says, if you are acquainted with the truths of the gospel, if you put your faith in Christ and you walk away, there's a lot at stake. It's impossible for, he says, if for somebody to do this and it's impossible for, there, there's result, uh, your spiritual future is at stake. You are in danger of, of judgment. You are in danger of losing everything that is yours in Jesus Christ. The eternal stakes are so high in this. I know the question I'm going to get is, uh, I, wait a minute. I thought that we believe that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that your salvation is secure. Uh, don't we believe that God preserves us to the end? Don't we believe that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you're not in danger? You know, we're not people who believe that you're a Christian one day and not another day, that you can lose your salvation. Well, you know, the reason we believe this is because Jesus himself has said this. We could talk about so many different passages. Uh, for instance, here's just one example. We're, I'm not going to outline to you why we believe that if we've trusted in Jesus, if we're truly his, that we're his to the end. Jesus said this, and this is so comforting for us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that comforting? If, if you are in Jesus' hand, he will not lose his grip on you. He will not lose you. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one who is, is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is the comforting truth we have. But because all Scripture is God's truth, we need to balance. We need to not balance. We need to hold these in tension. The writer of Hebrews says, notwithstanding that truth, Jesus also said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 13. And what I think the tension, how the tension can be resolved is, there are some who appear to believe, but their lives will ultimately show that they actually didn't truly believe in the first place. It is not enough to make a profession of faith. It is actually not enough to, you know, sign a Bible. It's not even enough to come to a church for years and track it's in the end, our perseverance proves the genuineness of our faith. As Don Carson puts it this way, it seems in all of these cases, uh, the New Testament writers, including the epistle to the Hebrews, insists, insists that genuine saving grace by definition perseveres. This means whenever you get a case like that somebody doesn't persevere, by definition you don't have preserving, persevering grace. By def definition, that's evidence that they really never truly believed. In other words, I'll give you an example of a pastor I know, and I thought this was a bit harsh when I heard it. Somebody came to him and said, good news, pastor. This week, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've trusted him as my savior. And most of us would go, I mean, I still think I would do this. Praise God. Like, that's amazing. But here's a little bit harsh, but here's what the pastor said. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he came back and he, he said to this guy, um, I just want you to understand, you're not saved by an act of, you know, I prayed this prayer or you're not saved by simply praying a prayer and then you're done spiritually. We're saved by repentance and faith that turns to Christ. And the, the reason you know, because there's plenty of people who prayed and turned, seemingly turned to Christ, even came to church and did a number of things. Here's how you know that actually you have turned to Christ in repentance and faith. Not just that you walked the aisle, not just that you had an emotional experience. Here's how you know the genuineness of that faith will work out, that you will, he will want something at you, it will go to the end. We're going to see if you actually turn to Christ in repentance and faith this week. It's going to be shown by he who endures to the end will be saved. And you, you might be saying, well, what about the language here? Those who've been enlightened, those who've tasted the heavenly gift, those who shared in the Holy Spirit, those who've tasted in the goodness of the word of God, those, that sounds like they're saved. And I think the only way to understand it is, yes, they did have something of a religious experience. They actually did uh, begin to have a bit of a sense of the realities of the gospel. But like the seed the, in the parable of the sower, that was, it sprouted to life and then died again. Uh, it, it might have looked like it was alive, but it really wasn't. Or like Judas, if you ever think about Judas, lived with Jesus for three years. Uh, his, the closest followers of Jesus looked at him and really thought that, that he was one of them. He preached, he performed miracles, and he still didn't end up genuinely saved. There's a whole category, as Don Carson says, of people who receive something of the blessings of the kingdom, who do taste something of the powers to a of the age to come, and yet tragically still end up lost. Don't let it happen to you. And so here's the tension, friends. Do you believe, at the same time that we cling to the fact that if we genuinely believe, Christ will hold us to the end? On our end, we've got to press on. On our end, we've got to not just slack off because we, oh, Jesus has got us, we can just rest. No, we've got to press on. And our pressing on is evidence that actually we are spiritually alive. And I love the note he ends up on in verse 9 because he knows he's laid a heavy one on them. He knows he's warning them because he's concerned for their souls. And in verse 9, he says this, and I'm so glad he did. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He's saying, guys, I've given you a severe warning here, but he says, I'm trusting that God is at work in your lives. God is not unjust to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope to the end, that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And I just end by saying this. Um, Char and I talk a lot about, I mean, we're still getting used to life here in the church. I'm so frustrated. I don't know all of you as well as I want to. I don't, that's an understatement. I just feel like we talk a lot about, you know, being here. Can I just say what the writer to the Hebrew said? I see so much evidence of grace in your lives. I am sure of better things for you than what we've talked about today. 
I see the work, the love that you have shown for his name. I see the way you serve. I'm so encouraged by this church. I feel deeply grateful to be here. I feel like what a privilege to, uh, what a responsibility, what a weighty responsibility to, to be a, a spiritual leader here along with the elders. I'm so grateful for this. But can we agree, friends, as I see evidence of, of your hunger for God's word, as I see the way that you encourage me, sometimes I feel, to be frank, I'm just running to keep up with many of you. Like you guys are setting the pace. I'm so grateful for this church. Can we agree together, verse 11, that we're going to continue to show the same earnestness, that we want the full assurance of hope that we're going to run to the end. We don't want to be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit his promises. So here's the deal. Would you look at my life? When you see me starting to get sluggish, will you love me enough to pull me aside and say, Daryl, I love you. I just want to show concern for you. Don't slack off. Keep going. And as I get to know you, can I make the same commitment that we'll just encourage each other? Press on. Like God has given us so much. Let's not stop where we are. Let's keep going deeper. Let's discover more of Jesus. Let's not settle for our 2023 faith in 2024. Let's keep going. Can we agree to that? Please do it for me. I want to do it for you. And here is the great thing. What will we get as a result of that? More of Jesus. More amazement at his glories. More knowledge of him. Uh, what could be better than that? Spiritual sluggishness destroys faith. So friends, let's keep growing until the end. Father, what a, a sobering passage. We see the danger of falling away. Lord, I know people who've fallen away. May we never settle for stagnancy in our walk with you. Uh, by your providence, Lord, this happened to be just how the, the sermons broke out. I didn't plan to preach this on the first Sunday of 2024. It was just what, in your providence, you allowed to happen. But Lord, what a great message to begin this year. We want to press on. We don't want to get spiritually lazy. We don't want to settle for just staying at the beginning. And so thank you for this clear encouragement in your word. Help us this year to keep pressing to know you more. Help us to never to settle for where we are now, but to continue to develop a hunger for a greater knowledge of you and your glory. And as we rest in Jesus' grip on us, help us not to fall into sluggishness. Help us to show earnestness so that we would have the full assurance of, of hope right to the end. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, so um, if you haven't got a chance yet, you can submit the questions to gfc.mills.life, not .ca slash life. I think some people have gone to the wrong website. So gfc.mills.life. All right, so we have a few questions so far, so we'll just start with those. Um, so I think these two questions are kind of together. So can you define sluggishness? You know, in what sense does the writer use immaturity? And the other one is similar, but you, I think you may have mentioned it. What would be the spiritual version of the baby food? Yeah, so the, the first one, the sluggishness, I think it's, well, the, the thing he mentions is actually become dull of hearing. And uh, I think what he's saying there is, Hebrews has characteristics of being a sermon. Uh, it's, not, it's different from a lot of other epistles. And here he's saying one of the evidences of spiritual sluggishness is we hear the preaching of God's word, 
and we're slow to hear. We're just like, eh, uh, eh, you know, like, and we're not really engaged. We're not, what I've noticed, there's some people when, uh, and I'm so encouraged by this church because there's some people when they preach, you see them leaning forward. You see that there's a hunger and there's not even, it doesn't even have to be a great sermon and they're just leaning forward and saying, give me God's word. I want to hear it. Mm. So that, that would be one of them. Uh, I think that the things we've talked about in this, you know, the John Piper list that I mentioned in the sermon, like they're just kind of drifting spiritually. They're not being proactive. I think that's what he's talking about when he talks about sluggishness, just being spiritually flabby and out of shape. The second question was, uh, what, what are the evidences of that? Or so what, does it look what are like the spiritual baby food? Oh, the spiritual baby food. Yeah, I think the examples he gives here are, are just staying at the ABCs of the Christian faith and uh, just saying... I kind of understand the basics, so I don't need to learn more. I just kind of understand, um, you know, a lot of us maybe we're explaining the gospel and we say, now that we have it, we're just like, I got it. Like, I don't need anything more than that. And so he says, cling to the gospel, but of course you need more than that. You need to progress into maturity. And actually, you ought to be teachers, he says. You know, there's the, old, the more mature we are as believers, we actually ought to be I know not all of us have the gift of teaching, but we at least ought to have the knowledge that we're able to actually teach others the word of God. Mm-hmm. So I think he's saying move on and get to know more of God's word. Right. Thank you, Daryl. Yeah. All right, so this is a loaded question. So is it like, so, okay, so, so it's on the word deconstruction, uh, deconstruction. So he says, you know, doesn't the word just mean rethinking previously held belief? So, you know, in a way, Protestant church went through deconstru- uh, deconstruction during the Reformation. And so isn't there a place for Christians to make their faith uh, their own uh, and the struggle through harmful doctrines that were kind of blindly taught them in the past and uh, dealing with, you know, the past hurt from church? Uh, sorry, it's a long question. It just, yeah, so, and, you know, so that helps them to deal with the past hurt and church trauma they experienced. So essentially, so can deconstruction be good too? So Trevor Wax in uh, his podcast last year had a really good example. He said, if you have a moldy bathroom, Get in there, tear out whatever has to be torn out to get rid of the rot. You need to, like, don't just wipe it down. Like, you've actually got to get rid of the rot. And so he would say deconstruction is, is, is good. If you've got a mold in your bathroom, get rid of the mold. Deconstruct it. But he said the problem is, with the faith, to take the analogy of it further, if you start to knock down load-bearing walls, you've gone beyond dealing with the rot. Now you're actually compromising the structural integrity of the the house. So I would say using that example, yes, if by deconstruction you mean, it's all definitions, right? If by deconstructing you mean get rid of the mold, get rid of the rot, uh, yes. If you mean what uh, he says in Hebrews, if you mean by deconstructing, drifting away from Jesus, don't do it. You're hitting a load-bearing wall there, like your faith will collapse. So I think we need to, I, I know deconstructing is a loaded word, uh, Yes, we should get rid of the moldy part, the rotten parts. We should cling to Jesus, never drift from him ever. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, okay, so all the people who are walking away from faith, so should we not have hope that our friends who walked away from Christian faith can return? You know, how do we pray for them or change, you know, how does it change how we interact with them? Yeah, man, yes, have hope. And I think the, there's a tension in this passage because it seems so severe. I think what the writer is doing here is saying, look, like, see the, the, he's elevating the stakes. I don't think what he's saying here is if you've got a friend who's, 
I have friends on my prayer list that I regular, and I have family members I pray for regularly that made a profession of faith and walked away. And I, I'm trusting God to work in them. So I think there's a tension in this passage because the language is so extreme, but I don't see any reason to stop praying for people who've wandered in their faith. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Um, all right. So, okay, so is, is there a difference between a you know, slower and darker season when God seems far away and you just don't have as much hunger uh, versus you know, actually drifting away from faith? All of us, and this is a great question, all of us will go through spiritually dry periods, all of us. And uh, that's normal. That's a normal part of the Christian life. What should concern us if those periods, uh, and th those periods can last a while, but if we settle into that, if we begin to accept that as normal, that's where the danger is. So as we go through those spiritually dry periods, there should be a longing and a proactive, like, uh, I need help because it, we're going to go through it, but we can't accept it. We've always got to say, Lord, bring me out of this dark season, bring me into a a season of renewal again. So yeah, we're, it's going to happen, but don't accept it. When we accept it and it becomes normal and permanent, that's where the danger is. Mm, thank you. All right, maybe one last question then. So how do we walk with people who left the faith? You know, they all have the same, they all have, they, have, they seem to have all the answers, but they have chosen to turn away. Oh man, uh, there's so much in that. I'm just going to turn to Jude though, because uh, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that's stained by the flesh. And I love Jude because he says, you know, there's some cases where uh, they doubt, and you're not going to condemn them. You're going to have mercy on them. You're going to try to help them. But others, you're going to snatch them out of the fire. And it might be a hard conversation where you say, we need to have coffee because I see what you're doing. I see your social media posts. I actually need to warn you that you're like, I'm concerned for you. But he says, there's some who go so far that we need to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And the, what that means is, when some people get to a stage of rebellion against God, we still show mercy to them, but we're afraid. Like, we don't go too close. Because they're, you know the whole thing, if somebody's drowning, you don't jump in to try to save them because you're in danger of drowning yourself. He says there's a category of somebody's that far. Don't jump in and try to save them because... You need to show appropriate fear of putting your soul in danger. So I love that because there's almost like a triage. Uh, depends on how serious it is. And if somebody's too far gone, he says you really need to be careful and, and not get sucked in yourself. Thank you, Daryl. Yeah. All right, so in light of everything we have learned from God's words, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very sobering message today. Lord, we thank you. And we thank you that there is such warning in the Bible that does, that does not allow us to stagnate in our faith, to grow dull of hearing, to be sluggish and lazy in our spiritual discipline, to neglect meeting with one another, neglect fellowship and, and worship. But yet, Lord, we can also take comfort knowing that as we strive to walk with one another in obedience, in humility, in vulnerability and accountability, Lord, that you can, you can use us to encourage one another, to exhort one another. Even in a season of desert place or suffering, Lord, we can still help one another to press on and to seek you and to seek your face in our prayer, Lord. So, Lord, we, yeah, we pray that you will help us to be such needy and hungry people, hunger for your word, hunger to, hungry to be with you, 
In Jesus' name we pray.